Hello and welcome to the official Building Your Business podcast series presented by Archer Gallon Redshaw Chartered Accountants. Our firm has launched this podcast series to help simplify some of the complex challenges that occur when owning and operating a business and to assist business owners to better understand the inner workings of their organisation, regardless of which industry you operate within. Every month, we'll be releasing a new episode featuring special guests from industry, as well as Archie Gallen Redshaw directors Ian Walker, Smiljan Jankovic, and Valda Glynn, to provide their commentary on a variety of business management topics, alongside expertise surrounding accounting, taxation, and business strategy. Welcome to our podcast series, Building Your Business. Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Lewis, and you're listening to the Building Your Business podcast presented by Archie Gallen Redshaw Chartered Accountants. For today's episode, I'm joined by very special guest Andrew Stair, Director and Partner of Archers The Strata Professionals, alongside Smiljan Jankovic, AGR Managing Director. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Smiljan. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Across the conversation today, Andrew and Smiljan will be providing in-depth insights into building realistic body corporate budgets and the developer engagement process within the building and construction industry. With this in mind, they plan on speaking specifically to the various stages of a project, giving consideration to the initial setup, construction and the building uh, stages, and then finally, ongoing operational management as well. As some background, Andrew is a partner and director at Arches The Strata Professionals and is a fellow of the Strata Community Australia. In his role with Arches, Andrew offers specialist knowledge in the establishment and management of complex properties ranging from layer schemes building management uh, statements, volumetric subdivisions, (laughs) mixed use and master plan communities. Known for his work on award-winning projects, Andrew offers highly specialised consulting services to local and international developers, ensuring their obligations with strata requirements. If you just want to give, uh, I guess, a bit of a background on yourself further to that, and of course, Arches as well, um, it'd be great to sort of hear a little bit about that in the first instance. Sure. Um Sure. So very exciting. This year actually marks the 40th anniversary of Archer's The Strata Professionals, providing strata management consultancy and associated professional services to body corporates in Queensland. Uh, I started with Archer's in 2002 and have been a director and partner since 2013. Uh, Over the last 40 years, as you mentioned, we've worked with many overseas and Australian developers and hotel companies Uh, to develop and manage some of Queensland's most awarded strata title projects. We think as a group we are at the forefront of strata and community management services in Queensland uh, and our team of professionals provides a skilled multidisciplinary approach with expertise in all areas of accounting and, and property management and certainly with a reputation for the highest of ethical standards. And Smillian, it's great to have you back on uh, on the series. Yeah, thanks, Crux. Yeah, yeah, it's great that you know we have um, Archers Strata Professionals uh, like coming along and you know having that a long lasting relationship over the last two decades. It's great to be part of um, this podcast. So yes, um, definitely uh, delightful to have Andrew today. So as I mentioned, obviously today's conversation is going to be about the building and construction industry and, and as we say specifically to the developer engagement process and then also building um, realistic body corporate budgets. So I guess we'll, we'll start with the, the first line of questioning around the overall process that a developer undertakes, you know, specifically as I say in that, um, in that engagement. Andrew, can you give some insight into the stages of that particular process um, and maybe giving some thought to the, the initial setup through to construction and then um, the ongoing operational management following uh, handover from there? 
Sure. So within Archers, we break down a project into three stages. Uh, first stage is the development consultancy uh, service. Uh, second stage is the body corporate establishment service and then ongoing body corporate administration um, being the third stage. Uh, the development consultancy stage is all about working with a number of other consultants, whether it be lawyers, surveyors, utility providers, etc., uh, and the client, of course, to do a multitude of things, which includes design of the body corporate, including titling and management structures, uh, which may include volumetric titling, building management statements, management rights, uh, prep, and, and of course the preparation of documents to include in um, disclosure statements for the contract of sale in order for the project to be released to the market. Uh, documents include obviously budgets so people know what it is that they're going to pay and, mm -hmm. and what they're paying for. Uh, bylaws which determine how the community and occupiers within the building need to act and the rules that they need to adhere to. Building management statements as I mentioned, utility supplies etc. Once these documents are finalised and, and the project is released for sale then really unless there are any changes made to the project during that construction process uh, our services don't really restart again until about six months prior to construction being completed when we start on what we call stage two or the, the establishment of the scheme. So we start working on and preparing documentation for the establishment of the body corporate uh, in the background, not necessarily you know, doing budgets or anything like that anymore. We prepare draft documentation including minutes, uh, arranging reports such as sinking fund forecasts, replacement cost estimates for insurance purposes and it may even um, go down to obtaining quotations for insurance um, policies through our brokerage firm Marsh Advantage Insurance, uh, fire evacuation diagrams, work health and safety related matters uh, and of course the general day-to-day -day type work, gardening, cleaning um, and, the, and the like. Uh, and the body corporate administration phase is obviously fairly self-explanatory it's what our core business really is and it's assisting the body corporate committee and owners to deal with the day-to-day -day matters and uh, and and concerns and complaints that we invariably receive yeah. Okay. and um, yeah when you touched on that those three particular stages in in that sort of development phase sort of what was the actual time frame in past when that sort of prog process will be you know, how long it will be taking, you know, two, three years from that initial start to the completion and getting the title um, of the body corporate to be uh, done or I guess going forward that sort of process will be more longer considering all these uh, supply chain issues and labour issues. Yeah. That, look, that's certainly consideration at the moment with yeah. the construction industry the way that it is, is at the moment. Look, the time frame really depends on the size and sure. scale of a project. Uh, it could take, you know six to 12 months it could take four to five years depending on you know a project for like queens wharf for example yeah. um or the casino redevelopment down on the gold coast um so it is really dependent on the size of the project typically it's around about two to three years yep yep and i guess uh what would be sort of the time frame or what is the best time for you guys to be engaged in the process with the with the developers? Yeah, look, there's a there's a very simple answer for that and that's as early as possible. Yeah. Uh, really, from our point of view, having a strata manager involved with a project 
in the early planning and design stages, and that could even be before a development application is lodged, really allows proper discussion about the project between all of the consultants and allows sufficient time for us as the as the strata manager to collate all of the necessary information that we need to develop budgets that hopefully will provide an attractive investment uh, to purchasers. And I think another important aspect of that, engaging with the strata manager who's actually going to be responsible for managing the project once it's completed, it enables a lot of discussion around things that typically you wouldn't necessarily think about, whether it be materials that are used in common property whether it be tiles, non-slip tiles are typically harder to mop. You know, is there another option available? Mm-hmm. The facilities that are provided, it enables us as a strata manager to provide information about, I suppose, our experiences in other buildings where things may have worked well and probably more importantly where they haven't so that we can try and provide some advice to the client because at the end of the day we want the purchaser's experience to be the best it can be and that includes them living in the project sure um, on an ongoing basis and from a developer point of view we want to help enhance their their reputation in the industry particularly if they want to do future projects by helping them set up a project properly in the first in the first place and and using our experience in past projects where as i said things may have gone wrong and where things have gone right, I think really in helps enhance that developer reputation. And so I know you spoke about it obviously briefly just there, but in terms of determining future management strategies for building projects moving forward, um, you know, speaking about obviously enhancing reputation and, and using your past experience, you know, how does that help? How does that build that engagement with the developer? Um, and how does that also help further those strategies for the future? Yeah, I, I think... Engaging with a developer obviously helps us develop real budgets and, and you know, making sure that an investment is attractive to a purchaser. It can really ensure that some of the costs of maintaining the common property are made uh, more efficient. Therefore, ultimately, levies can be not necessarily lower, but they can be value. Yep. Um, and in terms of the management strategies about how the body corporate's maintained ongoing once the project is completed. Look, the Body Corporate Act is fairly rigid in how a scheme must operate, but by trying to ensure that the building operates as cost-effectively as possible while still ensuring there are sufficient funds to maintain a building to an appropriate standard, I think will help ensure that values within the building are maintained as well You know, for all future purpose, purchases. Sure. When we talk about the actual scales, as you mentioned earlier. So how does the process and management strategy differ between the small-scale residential um, project, say up to 100 units in a pool, and the ones with the larger scale, you know, up to 800 plus, yeah. So can you just give a bit of, a, bit of a explanation on that? The process doesn't really change, yep. regardless of the type of, of project it is, whether it be um, commercial, residential, mixed-use, whatever it might be. Obviously, though, with a larger project, it's likely that the discussion around how the project is going to be structured from a, a legal sense, yep. whether it be using volumetric subdivisions to to deal with mixed uses within the project, it's going to be a lot more in-depth 
when it's a larger scale project because of things like, as I mentioned, a mix of residential and commercial uses. Or with a larger project, it may be appropriate to structure the scheme over several smaller body corporates yep. to try and help with with costs or, or management of facilities and the like. There may also be requirements to have facilities only available to particular units within a within a, yep. a larger scheme. So those sort of things are all taken into account in a large project, whereas in a straight residential only project, then the structure is typically going to be straightforward. Um, there's not really going to be too many options for you to structure the project in a you know in a different way. The other main difference, of course, is the amount of information that needs to be gathered. About an eight hundred lot or yeah. a, or an eighty lot project is is going to be very very different. I'll give the example of Queens Wharf project here in Brisbane, uh, where we've been involved with both residential towers over the past couple of years. Um, the first being six hundred and sixty eight lots, the most recent tower that's just about to be released to the market. Uh, there's been some stuff on social media about it. Okay. It's about eight hundred and twenty lots. So both towers were very different in that the first was interconnected with the new casino and, and hotel precinct. Sure. Um, so there was a, a lot of shared areas and facilities in relation to the casino and, yeah. and, and retail components. It was going to be delivered over, or it is going to be delivered over two stages in terms of settlements. So that involved months of discussions uh, with the developer, lawyers, surveyors, and other consultants before we even actually sat down and started thinking about budgets it was about getting the structure right yeah and i suppose those big sort of uh, projects they would sometimes involve two body corporate managers to be acting oh no oh just the one, just the one. <laughs> we don't like to share <laughs> I, I know yeah. just trying to test you <laughs> no just the one just the one whereas as i said a, a, a straight residential or a straight commercial project it's just the amount of information yeah. that differs yeah. um, in, in each occasion. Yeah, yeah, but which is, as you said, it's more time frame that takes longer as opposed to the smaller schemes, yeah. Correct. Yep. So I guess in that respect, you've gone through the, the process there and that, that engagement. Um, and as you say, you know, starting at the setup, moving through to construction, then now onto the operational. Once the building handover has occurred and it begins the process of the body corporate, can you please advise how you would design this and how you'd formulate what is a realistic body corporate budget for the building and you know what's the developer's obligation at that stage um, during the establishment of the body corporates as well? Sure. I, I like your use of the word realistic when talking about budgets. Um, we see a lot of projects where purchases are attracted in marketing materials by the use of phrases such as low body corporate fees or no body corporate fees which there's no such thing, <laughs> um, when in reality all that's been done is costs are removed from the first year's budget to make the levies look lower, but then these costs need to be included in year two and budgets increase dramatically. Uh, we've seen that um, on a number of occasions. And that would be sometimes, I remember working with existing clients, there would be time and motion study, especially if there's a residential managing engaged where the caretaking duties may be yeah look that's one that's certainly one aspect one aspect of that could be sort of prompting that increase in a, in a 
in a in a lab is. Yeah, yeah. Where where a client may have have gone ahead and and not wanted to spend extra money on on independent additional independent consultants to you know to verify figures and things yep. like that and and have underestimated how much work it would actually take. I think a lot of the the, the types of expenses that are removed from a budget in year one are those that the body corporate isn't necessarily required to pay sure uh, such as the insurance premium in the first year the the developer is obligated to pay that premium yep Uh, there are other things like lift maintenance contracts where there's a defect liability um, period for the lift you don't pay lift contract so a lot of clients uh, choose to take that out, uh, or other maintenance uh, of pumps, yes, things like that 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 may be included by uh, covered by warranties. Um, so cool. they decide to take those costs out. Whereas our our philosophy is to ensure that when we are preparing draft budgets, we make uh, our clients aware of of their potential reputational damage that can occur if their only goal with the year one budgets is to make them as low as possible yeah. to sell the units. Yeah, to make it more attractive to the buyers. Yeah, yeah exactly. It just creates a false expectation of what the body corporate levies will be moving forward and, and creates disharmony and distrust between owners and the developer. And as I mentioned before, if a developer wants to go ahead and build three or four, five more projects, if, if he wants to stick around for a while, which most of them do, mm-hmm. And wants to create, you know, a, an investment, you know, type product that he's going to resell, you know, to previous buyers. It makes yeah. it very difficult where that buyer has experienced a, you know, twenty percent, thirty percent increase in levies mm-hmm. in year two. Yes, just just so the developer could sell them. And yeah, usually because developers have that sort of two stage of pre sales off the plan where they would like to sort of attract that sort of small, uh, smaller levies, you know, to get at least that 20, 30% of, of sales before they get some bank uh, uh, involvement and, um, and also they want to secure uh, some sales in a, in a, in a, in a scheme. Um, but, they, yeah, as you said, it's quite important to have those levies uh, appropriately budgeted uh, where the buyers wouldn't have any issues later on uh, when, when it comes to dealing with, with those um, uh, schemes and, um, and as you said, um, especially when you get engaged and look after those owners yeah. so there's no problem, particular issues between that relationship with you guys. Yeah, look, we, I certainly understand the need for pre-sales. It's been a requirement for Correct. a long, long time. Uh, but having unrealistic expectations of levies is a real problem that we've seen when we've got budgets from other strata managers for projects that, that we're not involved in, we can clearly see what the, the idea has been. Yeah. Um, and look, we go so far as to decline some clients as a result of that, okay. and I'm sure that we've lost clients as a result of that mm-hmm. um, through those difficult discussions, but it's just not worth the reputational damage and issues that we need to deal with in year two for us to take on a client that... that that that's his only goal. There are other ways to... Yeah, and as you said, probably those one-off projects that the developers are doing could be that potential reason why um, 
as opposed to those with a reputation um, that they're going to sort of maintain their projects in future. So they want to keep up and make sure that they they have those uh, uh, levies c- correctly applied. And because, as you said, repeating customers are important, and they don't really want to carry that sort of bad bad name and influence around. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, the second part of that question, in terms of what what is the developer's obligation mm-hmm. um, once the body corporate's established, the Body Corporate Act is fairly clear about what uh, what they call an original owner, being, okay. being the developer. Um, they have a number of obligations, and they relate solely around the supply of information and documentation about the project. So there is a detailed list included within the Body Corporate. Um, regulation modules but it simply outlines that the developer amongst other things is to provide the body corporate with a copy of such things as the development approval and associated documentation Mm -hmm. a list of the body corporate assets whether that be furniture gym equipment etc obviously drawings as constructed drawings body corporate needs to know what is actually being built and a number of other documentations around you know, the contract with the builder is an important one as well, um, particularly given you know, there's been a lot of talk within the last couple of years about defects with a number of buildings in New South Wales having you know fairly significant defects. Okay. So having a copy of the contract with the builder, because ultimately the builder is responsible for the defects, yep. not yes. the developer. Yep. Correct. Um, so having a copy of, of what the builder's requirements and obligations were as part of that contract is a very important tool in ensuring that that we can probably follow up and and deal with defects yep okay yeah as you mentioned so you will be basically engaged as part of that follow-ups on behalf of the of the scheme so so our our appointment with the developer encompasses essentially the first three years of strata management role once the body corporate has been completed we do a lot of our work for no cost up front subject to that appointment as the strata manager for three years Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and actually so when exactly is the body corporate manager appointed you know at what stage i mean yes that's after everything is settled title is approved so when is so basically appointment uh, done Sure. So within about three to four business days of titles registering yep. okay. uh, with the titles office, we hold what's called first extraordinary general meeting or the inaugural inaugural general meeting, and that's when the developer or the original owner as the as the owner of all lots in sure. the scheme at that yep. stage because settlements haven't occurred yet. That's where we go through with that uh, client and confirm and budgets that have already been disclosed, contracts, um, and any other things that might have have arisen during the contract of sale process, whether it be an owner wanting an improvement to install a storage cage in this car park or a pergola in a courtyard or to keep a pet, whatever it might be. And that's when our appointment really commences. And I suppose depending on, on the scheme size as well, whether it requires caretaker or, on, you know, on on, on, um, on the lot. So when would that be sort of part involved, you know, caretaking agreements or how heavily you're involved in that or is it more sort of legal side? So as part of 
the disclosure documents that are required to be included within the contract of sale. Uh, there's a legal obligation for any contract that the developer is going to require the body corporate to enter into for a period of 12 months or longer that a copy of that proposed contract needs to be disclosed to purchasers before they sign a copy of the sales contract. So as a purchaser, when I sign my contract or before I sign my contract, I've got a copy of all of the contracts that are going to exceed 12 months that I know that as a member of the body corporate, I'm going to be involved in. Yep. Um, post-registration of the scheme. So I may not necessarily know who that caretaker is going to be because the developer may not have sold. Yeah, they they can maintain it. Yeah, or they can retain it. Um, But I know the terms and conditions upon which that contract is going to be entered into. And then once a decision has been made about who's going to enter into the contract or who's going to be the caretaker or the letting agent, then at that first EGM is when their formal appointment commences. Sure. You did mention earlier about the insurances uh, and I suppose as part of your process as well, you would definitely look into it and help developers to initially set that up. So what sort of insurances are involved or sort of components of insurance should be taken as part of that requirement? Say? Sure. So, so as a group... Um, we recognised some some time ago that there was a requirement for whether it be developer clients or whether it be body corporate clients that they really needed a hands-on insurance broking agent to, to provide those sort of services. So we, uh, we have uh, an internal insurance broking arm, Marsh Advantage Insurance, along with a number of other complementary um, service divisions. So we start that insurance uh, or we start the process of collating and obtaining insurance quotations for the developer probably about three months from construction being completed. The Body Corporate Act, again, is fairly rigid on the type of insurance that a developer has to take out or or the body corporate has to take out. Um, And that includes, obviously, cover for the building structure, Mm -hmm. including demolition costs, removal of debris, um, consultants, etc., yep. so that it's covered for all costs that that require it to be rebuilt, council fees, etc. Yep. Uh, and then you have those other uh, ancillary type policies, such as you know, public liability for yep. common area, uh, office bearers liability, which protects committee members um, for any decisions that they might make that causes you know yep. loss or or, or injury. Yep. to a person or property. Yeah, yeah. As part of that uh, sort of pro- process, you, yeah, there'll be your engagement on work health and safety, you know, yeah. initially engaged before that involvement as well? Or yeah, so we sort of provide quotations to the to the developer. Yeah. All of these things have been budgeted for budgeted, as well. Yeah. So a, a couple of our other um, services divisions include um, a company called Strata Compliance Solutions. Yeah. So they do... Uh, fire and workplace health and safety yep. audits uh, that are an annual obligation. We also do evacuation diagrams for common properties, which again is a is a legal requirement, yep. uh, as well as evacuation diagrams for uh, short term letting units. Mm-hmm. Again, which are is a requirement to to have. 
Sure. Uh, we do a lot of quantity surveying work as well. So sinking fund forecasts, 15-year sinking fund forecasts, uh, replacement cost estimates or, yep. or insurance valuations, yep. uh, as well as tax depreciation schedules for investors as well. Yep. Uh, and then the other the other ancillary service line that we provide is a um, a utilities management um, through a company called ARC Utilities. So they provide uh, embedded network, uh, electricity, water uh, management on behalf of clients. Sure. Uh, we do a lot of uh, billing, meter reading and billing for electricity, um, town water up on the Sunshine Coast with some recent changes. Um, okay to Unity Water uh, and, and how they've done their billing. Uh, we've taken on a lot of clients up there. So we sort of have a whole suite of services yep. that are complementary to our strata management side of things that that we feel because we do them in-house, it provides a lot of benefit and streamline services to, to clients. Yeah, that definitely both developers and purchasers will leverage off, I guess. It, yep. Exactly. Yep. Sure. It's a one-stop shop for... Yep for a developer to get all of the regulatory compliance work that they need as, as part of a, a project registry. Well, there was a big keyword in what you said there um, in that and being tax. <laughs> so probably uh, switch over to, to Smillion here and to, to ask him, I guess, because obviously our firm does a lot of work in property, building, construction, management rights. Um, so from a, a building construction and from a development point of view, what's the what's the accounting and tax perspectives that people need to be aware of? What type of things are thrown in there from um, a compliance point of view, maybe in body corporates, um, but also in income projections and the like as well? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely, because uh, from an accounting perspective, um, our firm definitely gets engaged either in two sort of process. Uh, first of all, uh, if we're helping, assisting, developers from that initial perspective, initial outlet of the project to help them assist and manage that process from that feasibility reporting, budgeting, cash flow management, costing. So we would definitely help uh, along those lines to make sure that the project uh, will be meeting their targets and expectations, setting aside all the contingency liabilities. And um, yeah, so you know, from that perspective, so we help and assist and carry on on, on those activities. Um, and yes, we'll give some sort of projection when it comes down to the tax when the project finishes, because normally first two years of the project, which is the normally time frame, most, most of that, it's just the outgoings for the developer. So until the, the sale starts coming through and the settlement starts coming through and um, the sweet side of the of the profits will normally lie in that sort of last couple of couple of projects that they need to uh, settle on. Um, so yes, then we, we can give them some sort of estimates and estimations when the profits, when the tax might be uh, um, uh, be payable. Uh, when it comes to the GST and margin scheme, we will help them on, along those lines when the cash flow for certain settlements uh, will be required, um, whether they'll be operating on a monthly or, ca- or quarterly cash basis that determines of, of uh, how heavily they're paid and uh, how often they pay their progress claims. So just to help them assist them to get that, those credits back from the ATO as quick as possible. So yeah, there's different ways of you know helping assisting developers and uh, along those lines. Um, the second part would be 
when the developer decides to sell the management rights business um, or decides to uh, keep the business within their portfolio uh, and acting as a letting agent will definitely help and assist with the income projection. Um, we'll work based on the information provided to use some assumptions and actual facts and figures, look at the uh, at the actual, um, um, you know, the, the market uh, where, you know, especially with the rents in that sort of surrounding area, try to figure out, you know, find out the average rent, the occupancy, and um, work on cert- certain scenarios uh, where we can prove and show them what is the value of the business if they go on that part to sell it or if they're going to keep it establish that business and sell it within two or three years where they can leverage more and get more um, uh, for it because usually the multipliers of the of the plan management rights are pretty low or not pretty low but just smaller than compared to the established businesses so it really depends whether the developer wants to return it or they want to really sell it to someone who's really experienced and want to keep up with that caretaking part so have yeah, seen, have you seen an increase in the multiplier for off-the-plan management rights? Though? Certainly, yeah, multipliers have been um, going up in the last twelve months, uh, and um, I've seen fairly big multipliers, uh, mainly in the permanent sector. Um, so it's get it's been going up to six point five, six point six as well, seven. Uh, these are mainly for the larger buildings. So with the net profit above, five, you know, half, you know, five hundred thousand. So there's not many uh, because uh, it's a really short supply currently on the market and that's what drives the actual multiply up. Demand is high, but the supply is quite short. We can see also the in the short term or holiday sector, uh, there's more activity involved, especially uh, post-COVID when the operators started uh, generating better profits and uh, multipliers will be a little bit smaller because still that uncertainty is, you know, is in that sort of sector that the buyers are quite sceptical. But on the good side, the existing operators, they really leveraged off, um, especially in the Queensland, um, they made such good profits. The occupancy have been really high. Um, so, yes, that's why they're deciding for those ones that try to exit from the business, uh, they can good um, good uh, value for, for their business at this stage, yeah. What have you seen in off-the-plan sales in terms of multipliers? Off-the-plan, uh, definitely I've seen six uh, recently, um, which was quite interesting. Um, normally they're low fives to mid fives, and um, so this one was uh, 150 units in a pool and um, good locations, which is great, so that's why... It drives that multiply up, and the the key was the investor as well. So there was not many unoccupiers, so that's what drives that uh, multiply up because the incoming man- incoming manager or the the buyer will normally leverage better. Uh, will have capacity to manage almost ninety to almost hundred percent of the of the units in the pool. So that's what they're paying for. It's a good multiplier for off the plan. It is, it is, and um, hopefully that doesn't maintain that level because they will, you know, especially with the existing buy existing uh, operators and that are normally working on adding to their portfolio uh, and looking for the good businesses, kind of put them away f- 
for investing further because they're trying to sit on and wait for the good opportunities. Um, and unfortunately, they're just waiting and, and looking for the opportunities, but because of the short supply, good operators are not really stepping too much in, in the game. Um, yeah, more and more you can see the syndicates are coming up in, in, into a game where uh, there's a group of people uh, will be with the experience and, of course, uh, good relief management. They'll come along and um, buy uh, the complexes uh, to add to their portfolio. Terrific. Well, um, yeah, I think that sort of covers a lot of what we wanted to discuss today. So um, thank you very much, Andrew, for, for coming in the, this afternoon to, to run through this. It's been um, yeah, really great to, to hear, I guess, about that engagement process and then what happens following that with regards to setting up the, the budgets. For those out there you know, wanting to get in contact with yourself to, to explore this further, what's the best way to, to go about that? Uh, sure. People can contact myself and, and my colleague, Simon Davin. Uh, you can either uh, contact us via our website, www.abcm.com.au, or, or give me a call on my mobile, 0458 272 And thank you, Smillian. It's great to have you back on the, on the series. Thank you, Chris. And yeah, thanks. thanks. Thank you, Andrew, for coming along. My pleasure. Thank you. For business owners seeking accounting, taxation, business advisory and superannuation support and assistance, please feel free to get in contact with the advisor team at Archer Gallant Redshaw. Led by Ian Walker, Smilian Jankovic and Valda Glynn, our firm are a Brisbane CBD-based accounting practice supporting businesses across a variety of industries throughout southeast Queensland and nationally. You can get in contact with our team via the website www.agredshaw.com.au via email at info at agredshaw.com.au or contacting 073002 2699.